1: you're standing in line for your lunch and it takes over two minutes and we get frustrated don't we something about waiting that just rubs us the wrong way in our current culture doesn't it yet God tells us that there is wisdom, love, and kindness in waiting. And that's what we find here in Psalm 130, uniquely when it comes to waiting on God for forgiveness. As we continue our forgiveness series, we find ourselves in Psalm 130, looking at verses 1 through 8. Pastor Jessica Stan will remind us that waiting for God's favor is a good thing, and watching for God's faithfulness even better. Here's Pastor Jesse with today's broadcast of Way of Grace.
2: What the psalmist wants you and I to do is understand the place that you may not be at yet, but you might end up there. What the psalmist wants us to do is understand that there are people who are in these circumstances to whom you may be able to bring comfort if you get the doctrine right. Save me, O God, for the waters are coming unto my soul. Look at verse 2. Here it is. I sink in the deep mire. Do you see it? Now watch this. A power has overwhelmed him and is bringing him down. He's sinking. Gravity is having its way with him, right? You and I don't see him wrestling. He may be wrestling, but what is he concluding? I'm sinking while I'm wrestling. I'm not winning this battle. I'm not rising up. I'm going down. And because his waters, the waters have come in on his soul, in other words, his mortal life is in danger, is it not? Have you ever almost drowned? Have you ever almost drowned? You talked to God real quick, didn't you? I sink in deep mire where there's no standing, no standing, no standing. I'm about to talk about that. I am come into deep waters where the floods, what? Is that a bad day? Is that a bad day? It's a real bad day. It's a real bad day. And if you are talking to someone that's going through that kind of day, don't you ever give them a band-aid. Don't you ever give them superficial Bible verses out of of a sort of arrogant assumption that a Bible verse, a quip, a religious phraseology will bring comfort to a soul that's going down that deep. You better empathize with them. Or you better say, you know what, you better talk to somebody because these are waters way too deep for me. I ain't never been there. I'll pray for you, but don't you even say that out loud because that doesn't help when a brother's drowning. The psalmist here is describing experientially what it is. Verse 3, notice this. Verse 3 plainly says, I am weary of my what? My throat is dry. Have you ever been there? You're crying, you're crying, you're crying. You're calling, you're calling, you're calling. And God is not answering. Why is God not answering? Because God waits for the season of the ripe fruit of repentance. you been there? You, you wonder why God didn't come through. Why hasn't he come through? God, I'm crying. I'm calling out. In fact, I'm getting tired of even crying. My throat is dry from crying and calling on you. My eyes fail while I what? There it is. Now look at verse 13. 13 through 15, I want you to get a bigger picture. But as for me, my prayer is unto you, O Lord, in an acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of your mercies, hear me in the truth of thy salvation. Notice how he's calling on God for what? Mercy. And look at verse 14. Deliver me out of the what? I'm stuck. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not what? Sink. Let me deliver, be delivered from them that hate me and out of the what? This is amazing because what the person is going through in the metaphor and analogy of the depths is really the psychological and emotional and spiritual deep, deep depression that comes when you are clear that you are out of control. What he's talking about is the spiritual, psychological, and emotional depression that comes When you are clear to yourself that you are out of control. Let me paint the picture because I want you to get it. This man is recognizing that as the psalmist says, there's no bottom there, no foundation. Do you know what it's like when the foundation is taken up from under you? When no longer is there a firm footing upon which you stand and have hope. Have you ever been in the water and you couldn't touch the bottom? You know that's a problem. But here's a greater problem. When the waters are tossing to and fro, and now you no longer have the civility of being upright, now you are tumbling in the water upside down, being tossed to and fro. You are out of control. No stability, no firmness, no sense of gravitational erection, uprightness. You're not there. You and I are used to standing up straight. We're not used to being sideways, let alone upside down let alone twisting and turning and going through the throes of being utterly out of control. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And that's what the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about the depths of depression that acknowledge, watch this, that I don't have a handle on anything. When I reach out, I can't get anything. When I reach down, I can't find anything. When I look up, there's no way to the top. Watch this. He said, even his friends have abandoned him. Watch. So when you are going through this kind of debt, your friends watch you and they go, can't do nothing with that, can't touch that. And the next thing you know, they're distancing themselves from you. And if you're not careful, the way you appear socially, objectively to other people, you will become a stumbling block for them particularly if they don't have the level of empathy they should as a believer, i.e. Job and his three friends when Job was going through it, when David was going through it. Here's another thing. When you go through this kind of trial, you quickly find out who your real friends are. When you are going upside down, inside out, tossed to and fro, and you really look like a sinful fool, you really do. You really do. The person who is not rooted and grounded in God and are aware of what you are going through, they will think you are crazy and then heap judgments on you. That's what the psalmist just said that. He says, deliver me from them that what? Hate me. Now, again, the psalm here is really messianic, as is all the psalm. But this one is richly talking about our master going through the same thing. Can you imagine Jesus going through this? Can you imagine it? You better. Because there is no temptation that has occurred to man that Christ has not endured. He has been touched with the feeling of our infirmity all the way through without sinning. That means somewhere in the walk of our master, the weight of the reality of the crushing nature of sin swept him off of his feet, and he started sinking too. Why did he do it? For me. Why did he do it? For those who trust in him, in order that he might be a faithful high priest to those that come to him in time of trouble. Am I making some sense? Giving you a little insight into the invisible frame here, though. So the psalmist wants you to understand that when we read verse 1 of our text, go back, let me keep going that you are not to kind of read Psalm 130 verse 1 as a kind of nice little soliloquy silico- 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 that you and I kind of say, oh, that's fine. Out of the depths have I cried unto Lord. Lord, I did that too. No, you haven't. You know what I'm thinking about right now? Another brother who went through the same thing. You know what his name was? King David. You remember the days in which he looked up And God was blessing him with triumph, and yet Saul wanted to kill him. And the next thing you know, he had to leave his own nation and go to the Philistines. And he's scratching on the door, acting like a crazy man, slobbing after mouth. Y'all remember that? You remember that? Psalm 40, verse 1. You quote it all the time, but please listen to it. I waited patiently for the Lord. See it? Now we put some commodity on patience, don't we? Because that's what David had to do, didn't he? As he was making his way to the throne, he was being attacked, wasn't he? And wouldn't attacks affect your mind? Wouldn't they cause you to wonder, is there anyone? Wouldn't they even cause you to wonder, God, are you there? And, And yet David is doing something the psalmist is doing, about which we're about to unpack, that is essential. When you are in this kind of trouble, what do you do? you wait. David said, I waited patiently on the Lord. Now you better grab that word patience, do all the exegetical labors you possibly can, the deep meditation and cogitation on it, because that was the key to David's deliverance. I waited patiently on the Lord. See it? I waited patiently. Now David is the patient. He's the one that wants remedy sometimes when your brothers and sisters or your family members or people you know are going through this, the only thing you can tell them to do is wait on God. Do you hear me? No other solution will work. No other solution will work. Go, going back to our first point, let me show you something now as we begin to move. While verse 1 opens up in Psalm 130 with the whole idea of the psalmists in his depths or their depths and, and, and so forth, they are at least doing what? Crying out to God. Would you say that's a good thing? Yes. Crying out to God. Would you say it's a good thing? Yes. Right, so here's what I want you to see. In your outline, I have attached to the first main point a troubled what? Faith. A troubled faith. You see it? I'd rather have a troubled faith in the depths than no faith at all. I'd rather have a, a faith that's in such Trouble that all it does is call on God when I get in trouble. Am I making some sense? See, sometimes you and I want to have the kind of dignified faith that really doesn't honor God when you're in trouble. See, the faith of the psalmist that he's describing here is the faith of a child that cries out for his father when he's in trouble. That's your first sub point. You see it? Father, that's who the Lord is here. Father, Hear my what? Right. And I told you, a Father, that combination of the Hebrew and the Greek word, which every believer possesses because he is the son or daughter of God, is not one of those cute little cries. It's a screech. It's a screech. It's the cry, I am your son, you are my father, I am your daughter, you are my father. I feel separated from you. I cannot live without you. God, come get me. Hey. This, is the, this is the one time that Christ used it of himself. In Mark 14, 36, when he's about to go to the cross. That's when he uses it. Here he is between heaven and hell. And what is he doing? He's showing the sons of God how to call call on God when you're in a twix between God's will and your desire. And how do you do it? God's not going to hear you if you're whimpering. You better scream. You better scream. You better watch this make some noise. And I mean real noise. You better act like you are in a sea. And no one out there can hear you but God. You better act like there's only one audience, and that audience is God. I don't want to hear from anybody else. I don't want to hear from any. The only person I want to hear from is the person that can deliver me. Are you guys with me? Right. This is the way the Psalms is is opening up, and it's very important for you to get this because you're going to be here someday, or a loved one is, and you don't want to be like Job's friends. You don't want to be a miserable counselor. You don't want to be somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about. You don't want to darken counsel by words without knowledge. You don't want to act as if you have plumbed those depths. If you haven't, don't go there. Say, so you know what? I'm going to call on somebody to help you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take it to the saints in prayer because you're going through something. You need some help. That's the way the psalmist is opening up. Now, subpoint B, I love this. Notice what it says. He says in subpoint A, Lord, Father, hear my cry. And that's what all believers do. That's Romans eight fifteen, Galatians 4, 6, right? We, having the spirit of adoption, cry what? Abba, Father. That's New Testament. It's clear. We don't have to develop that. If you're a true believer, you cry, Abba, Father. And it's because of sub-point B. Notice what it says. Lord Jesus, what? Right. So for those of us who are careful exegetes of the Bible, we notice that when you read your English Bible, the first word, Lord, is in all capital letters. That is going to largely always be Yahweh. The second word, Lord, is in, is in a capital letter L with lowercase O-R-D. That's going to always be Adonai. Stay with me. Stay with me. Because the psalmist knows how to get to God. Do you know what he knows? You get to the Father through the Son. Do you see it? No other way. You do not get to the Father apart from the Son. I'm going to give you some insights here in verses 2 and 3. But verse 1, part B, is actually verse 2. Lord Jesus, plead for me. It's where in the Old Testament you will get these allusions to what we recognize are three persons in the Godhead. Do we not? Father, what? Son, and what? If you look in verse 6, it also says the same thing over in verse 6. Look at Psalm 130, verse 6. Are you there? My soul waits for the what? And you know in verse 5, part A, what does he say? I'll wait for the what? So in verse 5, part A, you have Yahweh. In verse 6, part A, you have what? Adonai. Do you know why? Because every saved person understands from the beginning of time, you never know God apart from Christ. Are y'all following me? You never. You never You never know God apart from Christ. And I'm going to give you just two Old Testament Psalms for you men. We will be dealing with the real revelation of the second person in the Old Testament to affirm Jesus was always God's revelation. He was always God's second power. He was always the mediatorial revelation of the invisible God. Always. So we never even waste time with people who assert that you can know God apart from Christ. You cannot know him apart from Christ. You guys understand that? Psalm 110, verse 1 and 2. In fact, it'll be in verse 1. There it is. The Yahweh said, unto my Adonai, sit thou at my right hand. Now who's sitting at the right hand of God the Father? Who's sitting at the right hand of the Father? What's his name? Adonai. What's his name? Jesus. Now how do we know? Because when Stephen cried with that same Abba Father cried the heavens opened up and the Son of God stood at the right hand of God to receive him. Is that true? Was Stephen under a delusion or did the heavens reveal to him that his mediator was right there helping him while he was sinking under the burden? You guys see it? I love the way the psalmist is working through his issue because he's struggling through an experience for which his faith is doing the right thing. First, it's doing what? Crying out. It's crying out unto God. This is not a, a diminished attribute of divinity as well. This is what we call a plurality of persons in the Godhead, right? Now look at our 3rd subpoint quickly. This is what I love about Psalm 130. If you look at it carefully, what he says in verse 1 are these words, 1, uh, one 2, and 3. Out of the depths have I cried unto you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice, and let your ear be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Will Jesus listen to you when you cry out to him? Will the Son of God hear the soul that cries out to him in need of help, particularly if you are a believer? Will he? It's his job. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Look at verse 3 now. Here it is, verse 3. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Adonai. Do you see the father and son tandem? Who can stand? I love the way the psalmist is going now. I want to show you the connection between his experience and what he knows is the core reason for his experience. See, he's calling on God to not forget him. He's calling on God to help him in time of trouble. He really needs God to come through, doesn't he? So what do you do when you are calling on God and God's not responding? I'll tell you what you do. You start telling the truth. You keep talking to God. You start saying, you know what? Maybe God's been silent to me because I haven't been right with God. Ladies and gentlemen, please listen to me. Here's the reason why people don't pray. Here's the reason why you don't pray. Because God expects you to come to him with a right heart. God expects you to be without guile. Isn't that what David said in Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2? Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose trespasses are covered. Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no what? You know what that means? God will hear you when you be right with God, when you tell the truth with God. Do you think God will hear your prayers if they're all twisted? Do you think God will hear you when you're manipulating and you're hiding and you're altering and you're distorting and you're not simply coming right with God? Hear me, children of God. The only kind of person God wants to hear is a real, honest sinner. A real, honest sinner. If you're just religious, God will not hear you. If you regard iniquity in your heart, and your iniquity is greater than the glory of God and the person of Christ, God will not hear you. I don't care who you are. You can speak in tongues. You can babble. You can scream and holler. When the heart is covered over with the barnacles of hypocrisy, God doesn't hear us. Listen, listen, listen. Listen, there were two men who went up to the temple and prayed. One of them God heard. And the other one left on his way to hell. And he was the one that thought he was all right with God. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. You hell-bound sinner, you're worse than other men. There was a brother way in the back of the church patting his chest saying, Lord... Be merciful to me, the sinner, the sinner, the sinner, the real sinner, the bona fide sinner, the hell-bound sinner, the needy sinner, the real sinner. Lord, I'm a sinner. And he went down to his house justified. Listen to me. He felt forgiveness. It wasn't a doctrine. It was a reality. He felt God lift the burdens off of his head. He felt God take his sin away, and then his sin disappeared. That brother went home justified. Do you know why? Because God graced him to tell the truth. God graced him to come real with God. See, this is why I'm talking to you about forgiveness. If you get forgiveness, you don't have to lie to God. If you get forgiveness of sins, you don't have to play church. You don't have to come here week in and week out with your tank empty. Because our tanks are empty when we're not talking to God, when we're not communing with God, when we're not growing in God's Word and in communion and fellowship, you come empty. Now, you get a little word on Sunday, but you're empty by Sunday night because you are not fellowshipping with God. You're not keeping it real with God. Now, some of you may be in the depths today, and some of us are praying right now that God delivers you. Others of you, God's going to have to throw you into the depths. So you can stop playing church because you're playing church. The psalmist is clear. You know what he says? Lord, if you should what? Mark iniquities. Can I teach? Here's what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist knows who God is. This is the beautiful thing about our text. He knows God. Here's what he knows. I got to come right with God. Lord, if you go to mark in my sins... If you go to cutting a spotlight on my transgressions, if you cut the lights on in like a century, start walking through my house, start walking through every room in my house, my conscience, my heart, my soul, my volition, my intents, my motives, my actions, you will find sin everywhere. You will find sin everywhere. You will find the sin that I don't even see. God, if you start looking, you're going to mark sins everywhere. And the next thing I know, the number is going to be infinite. They will be endless if God marks my iniquities. Are you hearing me? Stay with me now. What is the psalmist doing? The psalmist is plea bargaining with God before he finds himself before the judgment.
1: Studying God's word that we might show ourselves approved, that we might come to a deeper love and understanding of God's amazing love for us in Jesus Christ. This has been Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We are always delighted and grateful that you take a few moments to spend with us, that we might, again, study to show ourselves approved. And as we leave you today, we would also leave you with an invitation to join us for worship. In person, if you enjoy the teaching ministry of Pastor Jessica Stand and Grace Bible Church of Hayward, please consider this a formal invitation to spend Sundays with us. 11 a.m. is the worship service, 10 a.m. if you would like to join us for Sunday school. And don't forget, Friday evenings at 8 p.m., we have enjoyed a marvelous time of studying God's Word with brothers and sisters in Christ from a variety of churches all over the Bay Area. That's at 8 p.m. Friday evenings. For directions and more information, simply stop by our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Or give us a call, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're looking for a copy of today's program, you can either contact us by phone or mail, send $5 and we'll get a CD out to you, or stop by grace Bible.com and download the audio file for free. The address if you're writing to us is 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. 94541 is our zip code. And one final note as we conclude our time together today, we're able to come to you daily here on KFAX because of friendships and partnerships with people such as you who see the value of this ministry. Now, while it is free to listen to, for us, there is a cost, and we are a listener-supported ministry. No matter the size of your gift, it's greatly appreciated. So would you take a moment and pray about it, and then contact us with your gift today? 510-886-9782 is our phone number, or write to us, 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Until next time, God bless. I
2: don't care what they might say. We love Jesus anyway. I don't care what they might say. We love Jesus
0: anyway.